Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. You can see here a live shot of the debate stage that's coming up tonight. More on that in a moment, but I want you to stick around tonight because coming up here later in the show, I've got a fascinating conversation with the great lieutenant governor of our great state of North Dakota, Brent Sanford, talking about losing three state health directors in just a matter of a few months. Um, also an incredible story that I've not seen a lot of coverage about that I want to have you stick around and listen to, but because of quarantine and because of mask, a doctor, Dr. Gene Gullickson, was recently speaking up at a Grand Fork City Council meeting and said, hey, this quarantine and this mass situation is actually causing more and more people to have suicidal ideations. And so I'm just going to leave it at that. Stay tuned. Watch. It is very sad and shocking to hear just how young people are now being affected by what's happening with this COVID situation. All right, let's move on to what is happening here at, what, 8 o'clock uh, our time tonight, hour and a half away. But I'm dubbing this thing the Thrilla in Manila. I know it makes no sense, but look, this is a heavyweight fight tonight, folks. I mean, this is probably going to be the most watched presidential debate in the history of our nation taking place in Cleveland, Ohio. Obviously, Ohio, a swing state, and it's going to be fascinating to watch the strategy. Typically, Chris Wallace, you remember in 2016, he actually did a pretty good job in the debates between President Trump and Hillary Clinton. So we're looking for him to kind of stay out of the way, let President Trump, Vice President Joe Biden just sort of go at it mono a mono, toe to toe. There's several different topics they're going to be talking about. Please share with us tonight your point of view and what would you like to see come out of tonight's debate? What are you looking from a strategic standpoint, topics, whatever? I guess just to sort of lighten the mood a little bit here for you and, and ask you, hey, is there any way that President Trump can top this moment from the 2016 debates? Because to me, and I know you're going to remember this when you see this, this was the epic Trump debate moment from 2016. The question is, can he top this tonight? Here it is. Last time at the first debate, we had millions of people uh, fact-checking, so I expect we'll have millions more fact-checking uh, because, you know, it is, uh, it's just awfully good that someone with the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Yeah, because you'd be in jail. Secretary Clinton. <laughs> oh, I fell out of my chair when that happened. It was like, he just... The guy's always on his toes, always on his toes. So if he can beat that one tonight, would be absolutely epic, obviously. And who knows? Joe Biden can do a pretty good job when he's one-on-one -on -one in debate. So we'll see if Joe Biden shows up uh, with, obviously, his A game tonight. And maybe he'll have some good opportunities to uh, get some body blows in with President Trump as well. Like I said, to me, this is like a heavyweight fight. We'll be talking about this a little bit tomorrow night as well on the show. But I want to get to this. This is an interview I did earlier today. It was a, a live stream. So we had a bunch of people joining us from on social media um, asking questions of our Lieutenant Governor Brent Sanford. But we talked about losing the state health directors as of late. Also, one of the things I want you to pay attention to here, folks, is remember they had the, um, the state health order last year, about, uh, last year, last week, about the close contact quarantine order, right? That was rescinded. But I think what's really important for people to know, and I've reached out to some people about this as of late and, and listened to Lieutenant Governor Sanford here, but someone could make the allegation that you are a close contact. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but there is the possibility that it could be a false accusation. Well, remember, in America, you have two things. One, the right to face your accuser. Well, because of HIPAA, if someone says that, hey, 
Johnny was a close contact because of COVID, because of HIPAA, you don't know who's making that accusation. You can't find out because of HIPAA rules. So one, you can't face your accuser. Two, if you follow the rules and you become a close contact person, you should go quarantine for 14 days so you lose your income. You're basically put in like house jail for lack of a better term, right? And as of right now, you don't have an opportunity to appeal. You can't even appeal that if you think it's a false accusation. Remember, this is America. You have the right to face your accuser and the right to appeal. But right now, you don't based on these close contact quarantine situations. So I just want to give you some context there to the conversation. And of course, watch what this doctor at the Grand Fork City Council meeting says about what's happening with younger people and suicidal. Uh, it's, it's just, it's really hard to hear, but you'll see it in this interview. Here's my interview with Lieutenant Governor Brent Sanford. Big news from last week. We had our third state health director resign since May during a pandemic. What, why is this happening? What's going on? You can imagine taking a job as state health officer during a pandemic. It's, it's, uh, it's coming in basically like in a wartime position for that type of profession, right? I mean, it's, it's epidemiology, it's, it's, it's um, vaccine conversations, it's, it's quarantine conversations, it's exercising this, that state health officer role that, it, that, that, that the role has in Century Code and in, in state statute. And um, Mylin Tufty has been here with us since the beginning of the administration. It's some, it was the case where she felt like, you know, there really needs to be medical doctor leadership in here. And she also had been looking for that great opportunity to get back into private sector. And, and so that, you know, those types of, of thoughts and feelings and opportunities came together at that time. Um, then, then as the governor's been explaining for a few days now, Dr. Stahl had experience with state government working, um, you know, with National Guard and also working here in, 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 with Sanford Health and experience um, with us throughout the COVID uh, response since March, and, and 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 we visited with him, and he was he was willing to come in and take it, give it a shot as well. And as the governor has said, it was for three or four months, and then get back to to his private practice. And it's something that he was looking forward to, and and his future plans were to be in private practice. So, and you mentioned this, but so I wanted to share with our audience a little bit of Dr. Mariani's statement, Lieutenant Governor. And, and the thing that jumped out to me, he said, the circumstances around the handling of the order made my position untenable. What specific circumstances around the handling of the order made it untenable for him? Well, I would assume that since it's a state health officer order, that he, he must have meant that, you know, this wasn't an executive order that the governor was retracting his own or rescinding his own executive order. This was the governor um, desiring to rescind a state health officer order that the governor had announced at the press conference the day before. And so um, it's basically the, the state health officer signed it, agreed to it, put his signature on it. And and he he didn't, if you, if you notice, he did not end up signing the retraction. The, it was signed by Dirk Wilkie, the interim, in, interim state health officer. And so, so it was something where he, he, from a professional standpoint, he didn't feel right doing that. And that was, again, as a cabinet official, as the governor making the decision that this was not the intent to be putting misdemeanor type charges out there for close contact quarantining and, and questions surrounding um, the contact tracing and close con contact quarantining. That was not the intent from the governor's office, not the intent, and had not been put into place um, from the health department for co from contact tracing from the, for the last six months. It yeah. was not the intent. So the governor felt this 
this state health officer order need to be rescinded at this point? And we'll get to that in a moment, but I want to share with you to get your, because it sounds like he may be right. Senator Tim Matherin has suggested an article that um, because the governor obviously is is not doing this just through a lens of, of health, that he is in some way forcing or cornering these state health officers to break their professional ethics. Is that an accurate assessment of why they're resigning at such a rapid rate? Uh, no, that's that's not the case. And this, if you read, if you also read the release, uh, Dr. Mariani agreed there should not be a misdemeanor attached to this. So, so. But, but I'm saying is the ethics piece because it doesn't line up with the CDC. Is that where the ethics is for uh, Dr. Mariani or what? And he didn't mention ethics either. I mean, he he did not disagree that there should that with the governor that there should not be misdemeanor charges attached. He okay. he doesn't disagree with that part. He let me he just mentioned he did not like the circumstances, and it might be something with the appearance of being second guessed. It might be you know whatever it might be. But um, Chris, you've been around this long enough to know that the political the political landscape is different. It's not where you have where you say you're the physician making a decision and with the patient and that's the final call. Maybe that's the type of situation that, that, that our physicians that have been in these positions are, are used to. Um, in this case, there are a lot of others. There are a lot of other stakeholders. There's a lot of constituents that are, that are report, that are communicating directly to the governor and you are a direct report of the governor. And so, so this, it might be more of the, that it's a political environment, that it's a government environment, you know, it's not not a political environment. It's a government environment, period, where there it's not a pyramid. It is there are a lot of different voices, a lot of we had legislative outreach, a tremendous amount of legislative outreach. We had a lot of what I called on the Scott Hannon show direct democracy that day with a lot of phone calls from citizens. There's a lot of constituency here to be balancing in the face of a pandemic. And and the governor led like he always does on this. He made the tough call and, and he's been taking the heat from it for the last few days, sir. Lieutenant Governor, let's get into the close contact state health order that was put out in a little bit more detail. And I guess my question for you is, is let's say that um, someone's COVID positive and they're talking to these contract tracers or whatnot, and they say, okay, um, Bobby is now considered a close contact per this COVID positive person. If Bobby gets that phone call from that contact tracer and says, wait a second, I, I wasn't around, you know, Sally. Um, I guess my first question is, can the can the contact tracer even tell Bobby who the person is that's suggesting that they were a close contact or is that private because of HIPAA? Uh, there, there's a lot of HIPAA involvement here, but also there's a lot of assumptions on, on, on the compliance and and who enforces this is that the police department. I mean, this is this is something where with the misdemeanor attached, Chris, you can imagine what the next questions were going to be. So where's the enforcement going to come on this? Who who is going to be enforcing this? And and how scientific is the contact tracing testimonial of who you've been near? I mean, there's some of the some of the cases we're hearing about in the in recent days that are you know the some of the most scientific are how far apart were the desks in the classroom? Were they four and a half feet apart? Or are they six feet apart? And and with our some of the challenges with our current close contact. Um, rules is that if they're wearing a mask or not, it doesn't matter if they were six feet apart. And so there's there's a lot of things we feel we can do to bring some more compliance, some more buy-in from not only the K-12 community, but also the, the citizenry and, and the, the parents that are concerned about how much close contact quarantine is happening yeah. in schools. So we were getting into the weeds on that in that on that issue with Dr. Mariani at the time, and we, we felt like we we're going to make some progress. And, and 
obviously that stopped and so now we're forging ahead but there's there's some work to do within the close contact quarantining process definitions protocols but basically the cdc is recommendations department of health is recommendations north dakota is operating on re on recommendations at so, this point however there's still state statute that allows state health officer to quarantine for infectious disease and that goes back to pre-covid statute which people are sometimes forgetting in this argument also that in march and april we put in what were deemed to be improvements on that existing statutory language to help with household contacts and that was when it was brewing about whether you should be able to come from different states or not and come back to north dakota for work and then then the, the desire to go forward from close household contacts to just close contacts is what brought us to this point on friday and really brought it out into the public sphere because it was mentioned at the press conferences as having misdemeanor penalties attached to close contact quarantining right. something that wasn't there before and so my, my, my question to you uh, you know if i'm was falsely accused of being a close contact because now you're asking me to go quarantine for 14 days miss work do all these things and if you can't even tell me who's making the allegation what's my right to appeal if i feel like i'm being falsely accused of being a close contact do i even have a right to do that well, there's been a lot of conversation about that, Chris, and that's been that's been some of the communications between health department, governor's office, uh, the contact tracers, et cetera. And, and it's still it's still I mean, if you're in a health environment, you you're in a HIPAA environment. And so that's that's some of the reality. We've had requests throughout the pandemic from from the, the emergency responders, from the ambulance services to know where positives are, who who's positive in our community. If we end up going to a home. No, if they're saying, Lieutenant Governor, is that if someone was to make that allegation against me, what I'm hearing you say is I've got no right to appeal. And now I'm, I'm being asked to either go quarantine for 14 days and miss work or possibly. And I know you haven't um, you know, enforced this, but there is in writing or there was that I have a class B misdemeanor. So I guess do I have any rights if I'm being falsely accused at all or am I just do I just have to go quarantine? Well, it's a recommendation is to quarantine. And that's what we're working on, Chris. OK. So I'm telling you, we're working on the definition of close contacts for, and the quarantining. All right. And one of the requests that's coming out is to be close quarantining in school versus at home versus with grandma versus at daycare versus out in the community at, at the malls. And so there, there's actually a very robust conversation, probably because we have so many more positives today than we had even a month ago. But with the amount of actives that we have, this conversation is a lot more robust than it was before. And it probably should have been more robust before, but here we are today. It is, it is yeah. the conversation of the day, is the definition of close contact quarantining. Where can it be done? Is it at home only? Um, you know, those are the questions. Is it is it six feet for 15 minutes with a mask, without a mask, either either with a mask or without a mask? Those are questions that are coming up. I mean, you're wrestling with in real time. I'm not an epidemiologist, so a lot of the, that stuff sounds sort of arbitrary to me. So hopefully there's, you know, some some real sign. I got to share this with you, um, Lieutenant Governor. So this is from uh, a Grand Fork City Council meeting, I believe, maybe early September. Um, I'm going to set this up for you, then I want to give you a chance to react. This is Dr. Jean Gullickson. She's a PhD in child development. She's a family nurse practitioner working in mental health. And I want to share with you her comments about what quarantining and masks are doing for some people. Here she is, and we'll give you a chance to react. The impact of quarantine 
and the impact of masks has caused extreme anxiety and uh, increase in suicidal ideation and suicides in many age groups. My youngest patient who successfully committed suicide was eight years old. Um, she stated that not being able to see her grandmother, not being able to see her friends, being terrified that if she went outside that her mother would die, um, was more than she could handle, and she was able to verbalize that. First off, prayers to that family, and secondly, sir, just your your response, your reaction, how do we prevent that from happening in the future? Absolute nightmare, Chris. I've got a nine-year-old daughter at home. I mean, this is something that's affecting us all. It's, it's, it's acute with the children. They're, they don't know why the parents are so stressed and why we have so much stress around all of this. I can tell you reactions from my children are, you know, I just want to be around kids. You know, I'll wear a mask. I just want to be around kids. I mean, I, I'd say all the time, we need to get kids together, be with kids. They're very compliant. Kids are used to adults telling them what they need to do when they're in school. And so, so we as an office are advocating for kids being in school with kids because not only do we have to worry about the state health officer and what they are seeing, we, we also oversee human services. And Chris Jones from Human Services has really been strong in his, in his assertion that kids need to be with kids. We had, we had a, I think, a gift given to us a month ago when Dr. Burks was at NDSU and she, she remarked that kids need to be with kids. They need to be with kids and, and cohorting with kids so that the spread is happening only within that small group. She, she, she mentioned she did not like the hybrid school model because then they're home with grandma or they're in play groups with, with more kids and expanding their circle or they're, if they're in junior high, they're going to the mall. They're going, they're, they're going to the parks and the transmissible moments are exponentially higher. So, so Chris, we as a society need to get a handle, on, a handle on this quickly. And I can tell you, yes, the stress for the young children and the children is immense. And from the other end of the spectrum, the stress on long-term care on those residents is immense as well. But those vulnerable, vulnerable patients, those vulnerable citizens are the ones that we are really looking to protect here. And, and as, the, as the fatalities increase from community spread ending up in the long-term care. That, that's where our focus has been. Trying to, try to, trying to figure out if there will be less transmissible moments, less positives, if the kids stay with kids versus having them on remote learning and then around the community and with the rest of their family and with, and with grandparents. Thank you so much to Lieutenant Governor Brent Sand for that. Again, that was a live stream, so we also took questions for quite some time. So if you want to see that, a conversation in its entirety, just go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash POV now. You're looking at a live shot outside the debate. Again, that's coming up here in just over an hour between President Trump and Vice President Joe Biden. When we come back, we're going to have some feedback and much more. And as always, please share your point of view with us. You can email us, you can text us, you can leave us a voicemail. Let's stick around. we got a lot more coming up right after this.